Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, the owner of Townsend Family Law and an experienced family law lawyer practicing in all areas of divorce law in the city of Toronto. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, our topic is divorce and mortgages, and I'm really excited to have on the show John Penagakos, who is a mortgage specialist uh, extraordinaire, and um, I'm really excited to chat with him about everything to do with divorce and mortgages. So welcome to the podcast, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Why don't we start by having you just tell listeners a little bit about your background and what you do? Uh, So... Um, I'm a mortgage. Uh, I'm a mortgage agent in Toronto. I'm with a company called um, or brokerage called Sabridge Financial Group, and within that, I created a service called Separation Mortgages. So I created a niche, uh, and I almost exclusively help people who are in the process of separation and divorce and need mortgage funding. So what we do is we um, we will speak to a client, we'll figure out what he or she needs. And we will create a customized solution based on their unique. And as you know, I know as a family lawyer, um, you know, mortgage issues are, is something that, you know, it does come up a lot because often people are selling their matrimonial home and then they're taking their share of the proceeds from that or their equalization payment and looking to purchase something else. And, you know, sometimes this can be really problematic because, you know, naturally, when you're a couple and there's two of you, there there potentially are two incomes, uh, you know, two credit ratings, two people to to carry the load uh, of a mortgage and perhaps qualify for more and all of that. And so sometimes, you know, I find clients, um, you know, they do have some problems uh, seeking out a mortgage when they first separate it. So what are some of the issues that, you know, you see coming up for, you know, people who are newly separated or divorced and they're looking for their first mortgage? So good question. So typically what will happen is um, someone will go to their bank as an example. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But when you you make an appointment at, you know, insert bank, um, they'll say, the the, the client will say, oh, I'm in the process of separation or newly separated. Uh, And then the the person on the other end of the desk will say, where's your separation agreement? And the person and the client will say, well, I don't have one yet because I'm, say, in the process. And so the bank won't help them. It is very, very rare that you'll get someone that's able to give you that service. And so what we did was, you know, about 10 or so years ago, we reversed the process. So we we say to clients, we can get you an approval with or without a signed separation. And some banks are divorce friendly and some are not. Um, and so... Some banks will not give you an approval if you have a signed separation agreement um, or, or uh, even if you don't have one. Um, but then some banks, all banks have a different lending policy. So bank, uh, some banks will you, let's say you're relying on child and spouse support to qualify for a mortgage. Some banks will use only 30% of that value. So if you're receiving say $1,000 a month, they'll only use 300. Some will use 50% of, of the support uh, payment, um, and then others will use 100%. And so we look at the, we look at the client and say, okay, well, you don't qualify at the blue bank, but maybe you qualify at the pink bank. And so that's, that's, how, that's how we deal with things. And clients, I think, get frustrated because they will try and do things on their own. You know, if, if, if a door is closed, uh, then, then they feel 
you know, helpless, but, you know, with the right representation, I think that they can get the approval that they're, that they're seeking. And then other banks, you know, want a certain uh, track record of support payments being deposited or e-transferred into your account. And those people that are newly separated don't necessarily have that track record. So based on everyone's unique circumstance, we will approach the appropriate, appropriate lender based on what's going on in your life. It's interesting to, that there aren't sort of hard and fast rules that way, because this is actually news to me. I didn't know that, um, you know, the banks don't all treat child and spousal support the same way. To me, it's like somebody's getting that money, especially, you know, if you are in a situation where there's a court order or, or an enforceable separation agreement that, you know, party X has to pay that every month to, you know, party Y. It's interesting to know that, uh, you know, the banks don't necessarily treat that um, as 100%, um, you know, income that you have coming in for the purposes of qualifying. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah, and it, it is frustrating because you have this agreement or you have this court order and the, you know, large in part, the bank doesn't care. Well, some banks do, some don't. Um, but then the other challenge that exists is, you know, someone can walk into the the Purple Bank and... They'll sit down in front of whoever and say, hey, here's my signed separation agreement. I'm receiving $1,000 a month. And, you know, let's say I earn $100,000 a year or whatever the income is. And please qualify for qualify me for a mortgage. And then that person that's sitting across from you may, may not even know the policy within their own bank. Mm-hmm. And that becomes even more frustrating. And so they'll then come to us and say, okay, look, I went to my bank and they 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 weren't able, weren't able to help, or I went to another broker and they weren't able, able to help me. Like, what can you do? And um, we often, we can often get a, an approval at the bank that they were even declined at. And so, and, and the client's like, well, why did that happen? We're like, well, we know bank policy better than most bankers do. Right. And so, you know, and I'm not trying to poo-poo on the bank at all, but, you know, it's, it, they, they often, people, representatives at the bank often wear many hats. And so we say, you know, this day and age, it's 2023, use or approach the professional that has a niche or a specialty or an expertise in certain areas. Some brokers are great at commercial lending. Some brokers are great at, um, you know, uh, building condos and, and, and new builds. Uh, and there's very few mortgage brokers like me that do uh, separation mortgages. And so we have a really good track record and we're very, we're, we're very lucky to be able to help. Uh, That's great. I know one of the things that I've um, done in my practice sometimes where um, there's somebody who is, you know, in the process of the separation and divorce uh, process um, and they don't have their agreement or they don't have a court order. And so sometimes I've drafted a letter um, you know, indicating that, you know, we're in the process of doing something and, um, but party A, you know, is paying or owes, ch- you know, they will be required to pay child support and spousal support of, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and setting some of that out in a letter under my name. And that has been sufficient sometimes for people, um, to qualify. I don't know if that's something you've, you know, had done or had experience with or, or what some of the other, you know, ideas that you work with for people when they don't actually have a final agreement or court order. Yeah. So, so that's, it is doable. Uh, and we have relied on lawyers letters in, in the past, which is great. 
Um, and it also depends on what that person needs, right? So the, the, what the client needs, um, you know, and so not every scenario or not every client scenario is the same. So does it work in some scenarios? Yes. Does it work in all scenarios? And unfortunately, no. So, um, but it's also good to, to know good family lawyers or the family lawyer to know the mortgage broker and they can work in tandem uh, to get the client what they need. And, you know, usually what they need is a, is a, is an affordable mortgage or a mortgage approval. So I know when I first divorced, so I'm assuming there's lots of other people who might be in this type of situation. You know, my ex-husband tended to handle the, the family finances. And I see often in, you know, even in my clients' relationships, often there's one person, it might not necessarily be the man, it could be the woman, but who, who hand, tends to handle family finances. So often there's a party who you know, is fairly unsophisticated to this type of stuff when, you know, the divorce happens. Um, what are some important things that, you know, somebody should know uh, when they're going out there to look for their, you know, first post-divorce mortgage um, or financing? Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, you want to make sure your credit is, is sufficient. So, um, you know, it, it's common in uh, when people are separating and divorcing that, you know, depending on the, uh, on the relationship between the, the, the ex-spouses, sometimes people will rack up debt and can ruin the other person's credit, especially if there's joint debts. So we want to make sure that uh, the person that we're helping or if we're helping both that they're, that, they're, that they're being nice to each other and that the credit scores are positive. Um, and, and so that's really the first thing that we should be looking at or clients should be looking at anyway. Um, you know, try not to, uh, try not to miss any, uh, credit card payments or anything like that on a monthly basis. And that certainly helps. Um, you know, other things is, you know, one of the, I, I think that there's a, there, there's a, there's a false understanding out there that people will, um, people will read something and say, oh, uh, it's best to shop around. And there's nothing wrong with shopping around. But if you, if, if, you know, Mrs. Smith is getting her credit checked by multiple mortgage brokers and multiple banks, that's also going to negatively affect her credit. And so a lot of people say, oh, yeah, shop around for the lowest rate, shop around for the lowest rate. You know, anyone can get you a rate. Uh, anyone can get you a low rate, but only... A certain people or a certain profession can get you the right mortgage, what we call products. And so we often advise, if you're talking to multiple mortgage brokers, that's great. Get a feel for who you want to work with. Your gut is going to tell you that, you know what, maybe Leanne is the best person for me. Maybe John's the best person for me. And then you have to trust your gut and, and move forward with that person and let that person do the shopping on your behalf. And then ask a bunch of questions. For example, Hey, if I was going to break my mortgage in two or three years, what's the penalty? Um, can I refinance with another? Um, can I refinance with another lending institution midterm? Because right now we're at really, really high rates. And if you locked into, into something and rates drop, say tomorrow, could you then move your mortgage um, without without uh, without a large penalty? And so we try and inform the consumer of what, uh, what they, he or she should be uh, looking for in terms of getting a mortgage. So there's a lot more, to, there's, a, there's a lot more to it than just the, than just the rate. And what, what are the, the things that um, a lender 
looks at um, for somebody to qualify for a mortgage? So I know you mentioned like credit is obviously one of them, but you know, one of the things again that I see come up a lot with people is um, you might have somebody who you know, say you have a, a woman who was a stay at home mom during the marriage and. The husband worked and, you know, he, he earned a good income and the family amassed a certain level of, of assets. And in the uh, divorce, she's got, you know, she's asset wealthy, but she's income poor. And so, I mean, she might not be income poor, she might be getting large support payments, but let, let's just say somebody has assets, but their income is lower. And, you know, one of the things I've learned in my limited knowledge of mortgages is it seems that, you know, income is what the, the banks are really, really interested in. They're not as interested in, you know, your net worth. Um, so how do those things play into it? So some banks are divorce friendly and, and, and others aren't. So it's common. So, you know, usually about one a month, uh, once a month, we will get a client who is only relying on child and spouse support. And and so there are banks who will use 100% of the of that uh, income in order for he or she to qualify. There's that uh, idea out there that, hey, I can't get a mortgage if I don't have like an actual quote unquote job and I'm living off of support payments. Actually not true. You can actually get a mortgage with just support payments as long as you qualify. There are a couple banks that have something called the high net worth program. So you have a, you have an income and let's say it's child or spouse support. Um, and maybe you can't qualify for the for the mortgage. Maybe what we call what maybe your debt ratios, quote unquote debt ratios, um, aren't um, are over the the required amount. But you know, if you have RSPs or TFSAs um, that are over, in, in some cases, over two hundred fifty thousand dollars together. When you add them up, um, you can you can then qualify for mortgage. So we will look at what the um, what the client holds in assets, and then we will also present that to the bank. So they don't want you to cash it in. They the the bank may just want to review it. And so the way high net worth programs work is, if you have a an RSP, they'll only use seventy percent of that RSP only because if you were to cash it in, there's a thirty percent withholding tax. And they will not take liras into consideration because liras are locked in, but they'll use 100% of your TFSAs, they'll use 100% of your you know, stock portfolio and stuff like that. So um, the bank likes to know that if something was to happen, do you have something that you can rely on in order to pay them? And, and that certainly, certainly helps. So when you're filling out a mortgage application, um, try and be as accurate to with your uh, assets as, as humanly possible, because that can certainly make or break your approval. It seemed to me like years ago, um, HELOCs were more common. You know, you could have, if you had a lot of equity in your home, but maybe your income, you know, was was lower, you know, the banks were willing to lend based on the fact that you had all this equity. From what I understand, like in recent years, those haven't been as popular or banks don't, the, the rules changed or something happened and banks don't do those as often. Is that correct? Uh, it's not that they don't do them as often. So many years ago, the, the rule changed. So um, we'll call it the good old days. You could get a HELOC on your house up to 80% um, of the of the value of the property. So if, you're, if your house is um, was a million dollars, they could give you an $800,000 know, HELOC. Now it's up to 65% of the value of the property of just a HELOC. Uh, and then the other 
Um, and then the other, you know, say 15% needs to be like an actual mortgage where you're paying down interest or where you're paying down some of the, some of the principal. But yes, uh, uh, rules every day, I feel like uh, rules tighten up. And I think we'll, in 2023, we'll see more rules, more rules changing and, and credit will start to tighten a little bit more and it'll be harder for people to get a mortgage. And people will need to rely on mortgage brokers uh, and their expertise more often in order to in order to get them what they what they need. How do mortgage brokers make their money? Because I think you know that might be something that's a bit of a mystery to people out there, and maybe that's why they you know there's this tendency sometimes for people to just want to go to the bank directly, and you know they maybe they think the mortgage broker is getting some big piece of something. So so how does a mortgage broker get paid? Okay, so every mortgage broker has uh, is is or most mortgage brokers, as you say, have like they're they're they own they they run their own um, practice, you know, very differently. Usually, what ends up happening, well, in, in my practice anyway. So, if the bank pays us, usually it's like nine times out of ten. If it's a bank mortgage, um, then we don't charge anything. And so, you know, we take your we take your file to to the Purple Bank. The Purple Bank approves the the mortgage. Uh, you sign on the dotted line. Uh, mortgage funds the the brokerage will be paid. I don't know eight weeks later, and then the 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 broker or the agent or whoever was helping you is paid soon thereafter. Sometimes, you know, you know, is the is the mortgage broker doing a fair bit of work? Or is it what we call alternative lending or subprime lending or B lending, uh, private lending? Usually that becomes then fee-based because the 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 private lenders or B lenders uh, don't necessarily pay the broker or the brokerage any funds. And it's best to have that conversation up front. And so we will tell people, hey, if this is a if the bank pays us uh, what's called like a finder's fee or a commission, then we don't, we won't, we won't charge you. It's always best to ask the question. You know, there's always going to be a horror story in the in the media. Um, I think those are far and few between, but it's always best to have that conversation. Now, if there's someone out there listening who um, is either thinking of separating or is newly separated and they have bad credit, so they're worried about, you know, how that's going to affect things. Can people with bad credit get a mortgage? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a lender for everybody. Um, And so, you know, sometimes people have a, a credit score of maybe under 600 or six something. And that's, you know, not the best credit score, but it's still a credit score. And so, you know, once your credit is, is, is pulled or reviewed, we need to, we need to understand why does that, does that person have poor credit? Is it a, did they get five or 10 mortgage brokers checking their credit in a 30 day period? Okay. Well, that's one thing. Um, You know, do they, are they missing payments? That's a, that's another issue. And so, you know, having a, a knowledgeable professional um, giving you feedback is 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 always important. So you know, sometimes it's um, you know, Mrs. Smith has a ten thousand dollar line of credit or credit card, and she owes eleven thousand dollars, right? So that's when your credit score really starts to to downward uh, spiral. Um, and so we we will say, hey, Mrs. Smith, you know, if there's you know. $4,000 kicking around somewhere or a, a large sum of money, you may want to pay this off if you can, or at least get it under that $10,000 mark. 
and then we'll naturally start to see credit scores improve. And so a good, I think a good mortgage broker, a good mortgage professional can actually help someone's credit score improve just by giving them some, some feedback. How quickly can a credit score improve? Depending on, de- depending on the reason why it is you know, poor, um, I would say anywhere from 30 to 60 days. Um, if there's a bunch of mispayments, maybe there's a bankruptcy or anything like that, that'll take a lot longer. But um, we don't, in our practice, we don't see too many of those. Um, um, so usually if there's bad credit somewhere, usually, usually it's a quick fix. I've always been curious, why does it affect your credit score when people or companies, you know, do a, a credit check on you or so it's like, to me, that just seems like why it's not, you know, it doesn't mean you're not making your payments. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. So why should that affect your credit score? I think just because you're getting it checked, it's you're, you're seeking credit. And, um, you know, I think I'm not sure exactly how much your credit score will decrease by, but I think it decreases by about 10 or 20 points every time wow. you get it pulled. However, right, if you only get a check once in a 30-day period, I don't think it's a big deal. But if you have multiple checks, then that's when it can be problematic. But the good news is in 30 days from now, um, you know, your credit score will update itself, right? Because you'll have a new credit score, uh, sorry, a new um, uh, balance on your visa, you've probably made the payment, and that'll naturally repair itself and probably increase if you haven't missed anything. So just because you're getting it checked a couple of times, um, not the worst thing in the world, but certainly limit the amount of you know, credit checks you, you have uh, in, your, in, your, in your day-to-day. And most people don't. Most people have a credit check you know, from time to time. Uh, I think it's rare that a lot of people have, have their credit pull. We actually, like I won't pull someone's credit um, right away. You know, we'll, um, we'll, we'll have the conversation first. Are there other people checking your credit? Because I don't want to be the reason why your credit goes from maybe the borderline to, to, um, to something that's not, not sufficient. So we just try and make sure that everyone's on the same page before we, before we. Now I'm going to ask you, I think the, the hot question that's probably on everyone's minds these days, um, you know, we've, we saw through 2022 interest rates going up and we're expecting them to um, certainly continue to go up in the near future. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on the direction of, you know, interest rates over the next, you know, 12 months or so? Buckle up. Um, <laughs> I think, um, there's a Bank of Canada meeting, um, I think it's January 25th, so in a couple of weeks from now. And then there is one again, uh, March 8th. So the Bank of Canada meets eight times a year, every six weeks. And so I expect that there will be another 25 basis point increase on the 25th. Hopefully that's it for the rest of the year. I'm trying not to predict. So anyone that is listening to this and, you know, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully they are not increasing. But my gut is telling me that they will. Um, and I think once they stop, whenever they stop increasing, we'll have rates um, uh, rates at this level for a year, year and a bit. Um, see how the global economy or the economy starts starts moving forward. However, we're, we're also s- starting to see some of the fixed rates decrease. 
So just because prime rates are increasing doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't another viable solution out there. So it's really good to, to mortgage plan. So anyone that has a, who's in a variable rate uh, mortgage right now, who you know, has, has seen their uh, mortgage payments increase, reach out to your mortgage broker. Um, you know, there, there might be better deals out there to at the very least provide stability and maybe even a, a slight lower payment that you should at least consider. And what, um, you know, what are some reasons, I can certainly think of lots of reasons why someone should work with you. And definitely, um, you're somebody that I would keep in mind to recommend to my clients. But, um, you know, what are some, what's the value that you bring to the table? Why should, why should someone consider working with you? Yeah, so good question. Um, I, I think, when it comes to separation and divorce, like on the finance side, not that I'm a lawyer, I don't give independent legal advice. but I think I just understand this very well. I understand bank policy uh, very well. And I understand once we've, once we've spoken with the client and, and have figured out his or her position and his or her circumstances, we're, we're, we're able to provide an approval or a solution pretty darn quick. So, and, you know, I lead with an empathetic ear. So we try and figure out, hey, Mrs. Smith, like, why do you want to keep this house? And that information is actually really important. And, you know, when, when you approach a bank and you say, hey, you know what, Mrs. Smith wants to keep this property for, say, two years until her kids go back to school, and then she can sell, cash out, downsize, maybe rent, maybe buy a, a smaller property in cash, be mortgage-free. That's actually pretty powerful to the bank. And, and I think, you know, someone with, with a good tenure can uh, understands what the bank is looking for. This is also a service, what I call separation mortgages. Like I literally created this about 10 years ago and I created it out of nothing. And so we, we have learned a lot in the last 10 years. And I think we have a really good reputation with all financial institutions. And so in the beginning, it was pretty rocky because no one was taking us seriously. But then as one file became 10, as 10 files became, you know, over 100, we, we, we definitely learned a lot, which is, which is really good. So my advice to people is not only use the person that uh, you feel most comfortable with, use the person that has an expertise in this area, right? Like commercial lending, I don't do it. I will refer refer out just like lawyers leanne is a really good family lawyer thank you i'm good you're welcome i'm gonna go out on a limb and say you are probably not a very good tax lawyer no and i would not advise people on their taxes or you know corporate law or you know i don't even do wills i often have people asking me about wills and i'm like yep no i don't do them but here let me refer you to somebody who is fantastic and does Right. So don't go, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, right? Just because someone does mortgages doesn't mean they do all types of mortgages, or it doesn't necessarily mean they do all types of mortgages well. You know, my mentor a long time ago said, niche out. And so I did. And I was hanging out with, and I still do, hanging out with a bunch of family members who are wonderful people, believe it or not. And, um, and we are so, PR person. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a lot, there's a really a lot of good ones out there. 
Uh, and then I came up to him and said, hey, like, I'm going to do this. And, you know, he was shocked and happy all at the same time. And so I was like, this is what I'm going to create. And, you know, had his blessing and had a lot of encouragement. And um, so, you know, try and, try and get someone who, who understands what you're going through, right? Just like a renovation. If you need a kitchen reno, you're not going to hire a roofer. Same, same sort of, same sort of idea. That makes total sense. Now, how can listeners find you if they'd like to work with you? Uh, I'm on Instagram, Separation Mortgages. So if you want to follow us, wonderful. I appreciate that. Um, you know, separationmortgages.com is is our URL. All my contact information is there. I'm really easy to get a hold of. And I'm one of those people that I like to give people time and let's talk about what's going on in your life and let's figure out a solution. We're very solution based, but we will definitely give you honest feedback. Well, thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I even learned a few uh, things during uh, the course of our discussion. So thank you uh, for sharing your knowledge with my listeners. Uh, anytime. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, um, I, I've always wanted to do this show and I've been following you on Instagram for a long time. And I know you do wonderful work and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And thank you to my listeners. Please like, subscribe, and join me here again next week on Divorcing Well. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits mm -hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to, you have, to have hope. Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.